Well, if you will, turn in your Bible this morning, uh, three different verses. First, Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and Ephesians 5. First Peter 2, Ephesians 5, and Romans 12. First Peter 2, Ephesians 5, and Romans 12. Well, I looked at the calendar this morning and realized something. There's 39 shopping days left. I don't know if that's encouraging or depressing. Depends on which side of the gift mountain you're on. 39 shopping days left. Everybody has in their circle of influence somebody who's tough to buy a present for. Isn't that right? You go and you put stuff in the basket and run around and then you go put it back. Say, no, that's not it. That's not it. You buy them something. You say, if they could just tell me what they wanted. And then as the years go by, you even ask and they say, I don't know. Just hard to buy for. You know what I mean? Doggone it. If they were a little less content or something, it'd make it easier on the rest of us, wouldn't it? Imagine if you'd been invited to the White House to meet President Obama and as an act of graciousness you were asked to bring a gift. Now think about it for a minute. What would you give someone who's traveled everywhere, been in the finest institutions in the world, sat with the most educated, influential, powerful, famous people in the world, someone who seemingly has everything, what, what could you possibly bring? In a way, that's kind of, in a whole other category, the loss we're at when we think about how to approach God. Think about if you had to buy God a Christmas present. I mean, he has two of everything. He lives in a perpetual state of contentment. What do you, what do you give God? We're going to talk about it this morning. In this series, God People, we've talked about the benefits of being one of God's people. Being a God person. Uh, Systematic theology calls it the priesthood of every believer. The New Testament might describe it as a priest. We've talked about the benefits. You You have access to God and you have been authorized by God. You don't need to go through anybody to get to God. We established that last week. But this Sunday and next Sunday as we finish the series, what I want to do is is talk about the responsibilities of being a priest. I mean, you don't have to go through anybody else. You have access. You have authority. We've talked about what we've been given. We talked about why we have it. But right now and next week, I want to talk about what are the responsibilities of that? What are the duties of the New Testament priesthood? Now that God has given us access by His sacrificial death, we've entered into a new covenant. Now we have duties as, a, as one of God's people. If you look at the Old Testament and then translate it into the New Testament, the Old Testament and New Testament priests basically have similar responsibilities for entirely different reasons. I've defined the priesthood of every believer or or what it means to be one of God's people as a person that has, has 
access to God's presence, in other words, access into His presence in order to minister to Him, and authority to minister His presence to God's people and other people. Now, the question is, if you have access into God's presence in order to bless Him, to minister to Him, how do you do that? How do, how do you minister to God? What do we bring God? What do we give Him to show Him what we're doing with that access? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Underline these next three words. Offering spiritual sacrifices. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As, as, a, as one of God's people, we're to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. What are those? Well, remember in the Old Testament, the priests would sacrifice, they would minister to God by bringing in an animal. Now, it wasn't just any animal. It had to be an animal without spot or blemish, an uh, 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 animal of good stock. They had to bring one of the best that they had, and the priest would bring it inside the Holy of Holies, He would make a fire at the altar. He would slaughter the animal at the altar. He would place it over the fire and burn it. The idea behind sacrifice has always been, look all the way through Scripture, has always been the idea of aroma. It's always been smell. It's always had the idea that when you you sacrifice something, that it has to put off a certain aroma. It was supposed to smell good. Now, smell is one of the most powerful senses that we have. Did you know without smell you can't taste? I knew someone who lost their s- sense of smell. And I had no idea up until that time. They went to the doctor and told me, and what went with it was taste. Without smell, you can't taste. It's one of the most powerful senses, maybe the most powerful sense we have. It, when you encounter a nice aroma... It's, it catches you off guard, sort of, doesn't it? You walk into, oh, that smells good. You walk into, you know, uh, uh, bed, bath, and beyond. That smells, I just want to buy something. Doesn't it do that to you? And they know that. It's subtle, but strong. It's pleasing. A smell is satisfying but interesting. Pot roast. Come on now. Potatoes and carrots that have simmered on low in a crock pot for hours on a cold winter night. You can smell it, can't you? You walk in somebody's house, you say, what is that smell? We just put a live Christmas tree here in the corner. Can you smell it? Pine oil on hardwood. Man, doesn't that... You can just smell it. A bouquet of fresh flowers. What do you want to do? Watch out, there might be a bee in one of them. Smell those flowers. Fresh bread baking. You ever driven past a bread factory? You climb the walls. That's why they have such tall walls. I lived near the ocean for a long time. 
When you walk to the beach, there's nothing like salt air. You can smell it. You know when the clouds are dark and begin to gather, you can smell rain before it gets there? Isn't, isn't scent powerful? Smell is such a powerful sense. What made a sacrifice smell good to God in the Old Testament was whether or not the heart of the priest who brought it was clean and whether or not he followed Old Testament protocol. Those were the two things that made it smell good to God. But we don't bring sacrifices anymore. We, we learned that last week. Because the ultimate sacrifice has already been given once for all. But look at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. I just want to walk you through the, these three verses and show you what we as God's people do now. What we do with the access that he's, been, that he's given to us. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Look at this next sentence. To me, one of the most powerful sentences in the entire Bible. And live a life of love. Live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The death of Jesus was an aroma that was a sweet-smelling sacrifice. It may have looked hideous. If you were standing at the foot of the cross, I don't think that you would have had near the romantic affection about what was going on then that we do now looking backwards. It was, it was scandalous and murderous and, and bloody and exhausting. But somehow, no matter how it looked to human eyes, it smelled good to God. As the heat of persecution roared up into a full fire, Jesus' life began to burn on that sacrificial altar. And what came off of his life was a scent, was an aroma that went to heaven. And when it reached God's nostrils, he took it in and it smelled good to him. It was God's goodwill. You know, when you burn something, you always get what's inside of it out. When you burn something on an open fire, what you begin to smell was what was inside of that all along and you didn't know it. Fire releases what's inside. And it allows it to begin to come out. This verse says we're begin, we, we are to imitate God. How do we do that? I think we often misunderstand it. We think Jesus suffered so that we don't have to. We think he took on every, every hardship of life so that we may never have to take on any hardships of life. What's more true though is, is that Jesus suffered to show us the way so that we can join in what the Bible calls the fellowship of suffering. The fellowship of sacrificially offering our life as a sweet aroma to God. As I look through the Bible, I found a lot of sacrifices. More than I expected. We could do a whole series on the sacrifices that are pleasing to God. I found the sacrifice of praise, sacrifice of obedience, sacrifice of surrender, of prayer, of offerings, a sacrifice of your physical body, the sacrifice of possessions, the sacrifice of good works, the sacrifice of gratitude. But I want to show you one I found that really captured my heart in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, 1. Offer your bodies to God, 
This says, as a living sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See that little word, worship? That's a very interesting word in the original Greek that means work. This is your spiritual act of work. In its original form, it meant to work for pay. It came literally to mean to serve. To serve God through your work in everyday life. These are the spiritual sacrifices. We could just do, we could just take all of them and do a series on. But what I was trying to find when I was looking through all this is, isn't there something, isn't there something, isn't there a common denominator behind all of those offerings? The sacrifice of obedience, the sacrifice of surrender, the sacrifice of possession, the sacrifice of our body. Isn't there something that's behind all of that, behind those actions? How do you minister to God in His presence? What does God really want from you? You. All of these other things, obedience, surrender, possession, tithe, giving, service. Does God want my tithe? Not really. Does God want my talent? Not really. Does God want my time? Not really. Does God want, want the, the gifts that He's given me? Not really. Does God want my possessions? Not really. What God really wants, the only thing God's ever really wanted was you. He wants you. The only thing is... When he has you, he has all that other stuff. (laughs) And the proof of of whether or not God has you maybe is found in the measuring of those other things. But that's not what God's about. He's not about the things. What God wants from us is us. Give yourself to God and he has all those other things. The reason that the cross of Calvary is empty is so you and I can climb up on it and give our life away. Do you think that when Ephesians 5 said, be imitators of Christ, it only meant in life? It only meant in miracles? It only meant in in displays of power? Do you think that there were some other sacrificial and servant type ways? Do you think there's some inner broken sense that we come into the Holy of Holies and we spill ourselves out before God? And he says, that's what I want. It'll look different in everybody's life. It'll take on different contexts in different situations and require different measures of sacrifice in everybody's life. Not everybody is a martyr. Not everybody goes to some foreign country and has a, a, a radical member of some other religion take their life. But some do. But, but is, there a different, is there a different inner sense that God wants from that person than us? Or is he actually asking for the same thing? Is he actually saying, I've given you access into my presence for what? To sacrifice yourself. That you might come in and pour yourself out. To be one of the God people, what you do is follow Jesus' footsteps. You know the little footprint poem? What we never realized is is he was carrying us into the Holy of Holies. And he was actually going to sit with us there. And that's where we offer ourselves. Now, don't be confused about what that means. 
Your sacrifice will never clean you. Your sacrifice will never cover the smallest of your sins. Your sacrifice will never deal... Because we've encountered on some level or another guilt-based Christianity, what we oftentimes get torn between is, I did a bunch of good stuff, so now I did a bunch of bad stuff, so I'm going to do some good stuff to weigh it out. Right? We emotionally feel that way to cover it up, to, to, to balance it out. And, and maybe God will let me in heaven if I just do a little more good than I did bad. Can I tell you, that has absolutely nothing to do with Christianity. That's a works-based religion. But, but what happens is, is that God has given us free access to His presence to minister to Him. Now, for what? The sacrifices that we bring Him don't deal with our sin. If you're taking notes, write this down. Because of sin, because of sin, Jesus sacrificed Himself. Because of forgiveness, we sacrifice ourselves. Because of forgiveness, we sacrifice ourselves. We can't earn it. We'll never deserve it. The way to minister to God is sacrifice. I've thought for days um, about someone I could tell you about who, who lives, that I personally know who lives now in a time of extraordinary sacrifice. And as I thought about it and thought about it, I, couldn't, I, I could think of a few, but I couldn't think of many people. And, and that, that started working on my mind a little bit. And, and I, I wondered, why, why can I think of so few people who live in such an internal sense of, of sacrifice as, as a ministry to God? They've taken the free access that God has given them and they pour themselves out on that altar because they're forgiven. A broken and a contrite heart Psalm says, God will never turn away. And, and I, I, I couldn't think of very many. And it made me wonder, do we live in a time of, uh, of such spiritual poverty that those levels of sacrifices aren't being made? I don't, that might be true. I want to give you another possibility. Is it possible that there are people sitting in this room this morning who have dramatically struggled similar to how Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane over the will of God in their life and we just don't know it. Maybe the reason I couldn't think of many is not because they're not there. Maybe the reason I couldn't think of many is because I don't know it. Is it possible that some of those things are happening? Doesn't that make sense? People who've made the deepest sacrifices of obedience generally make them privately. The sacrifices that cost the most are the ones that are closest to our soul and they're so personal that we generally don't tell many people. Isn't that right? Aren't those the things that cost the most? The things that are private, the things we don't share because they're deep. Isn't that where serving God becomes most real in the depths of who we are? 
How would anyone know? How could anyone know? In the Old Testament, the priests went into the temple to offer sacrifices to God. The New Testament, guess where the temple is? You, the New Testament says, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You, the kingdom of God, is within you. It only makes sense that when we, when we enter into this access to God, we offer the deepest part of ourself inside ourself. The Holy of Holies is in here. Where do I go and pour those things out? I go inside here where the Holy Spirit lives and I meet Him in private. And sometimes we pour those things out in such a sacrificial level in the deepest part of ourself in the inner man. If you've only made sacrifices that people know about, that a lot of people know about and that other people have seen, maybe you haven't made the deep sacrifices yet. Aren't the deepest sacrifices the ones that most other people will never know? If you're going to fulfill your calling as a a God person who looks just like everybody else on the outside, who doesn't wear any particular uniform. If you're going to fulfill your calling as one of God's people to minister to Him in His presence, then minister to Him in your inner being. Minister to Him from the temple of the Holy Spirit, in the silence of your identity, in the loneliness of the moments that no one will ever know about, in the solitude of your own thoughts, in the echo of your own soul, in the invisible things. Maybe one of the reasons that God called it an aroma is because it's invisible. I can't see smell. I can only smell smell. Maybe maybe God didn't want it to be visible. Maybe the greatest things that you and I will ever do in life, nobody can see but God. It doesn't sound possible, it sounds likely. In the invisible, when we make a sacrifice because we have free access to God, there burns off of our life A sweet-smelling aroma that penetrates the presence of God. Those things don't register on earth. But they fill heaven with with an aromatic cloud that somehow resonates down the hallways and the streets of heaven and smells good to Him. In the places that really matter... You know, like the ones that we'll never get credit for. Maybe that's where sacrifices are. Let your answer to all of God's questions be yes. No matter how small the consequences. You know what I find? I find that most of the time, many of us are waiting for that big moment for God to bring that big thing in our life and we're saying God when when it, when that happens man I'm 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 ready I'm going to do it I'm going to give it up I'm going to I'll do whatever you want me to do then 
But what if what actually happens is God works us through a series of small sacrifices with small consequences? Obey God, sacrifice yourself to God, no matter how small the consequences. Because sometimes I think when the big thing comes, we're so blinded now by a littered trail of small consequences that we didn't consider important enough to sacrifice anything for, that when the big one comes, we can't see. Our lives are littered. With, with unsacrificed things. Things that should have been sacrificed. Little things that should have been given. Moments that should have changed. Decisions that should have, been, should have changed. Words that should have never been said. Things that should have been thought through a little different. But the big thing comes and we can't see it because it's eclipsed now. By, by an amalgamation of these little consequences that just fill our life. That we didn't think mattered. Little things lead to big things. I ask our worship team to come this morning. When I was in college, um, I heard a statistic that scared me, to be honest with you. In America, the average pastor prays 10 minutes a day. And I, and I, and I, and I knew there were I knew I'd never learned to have the kind of prayer life that I thought a pastor ought to have, but I was a college kid. What did it matter? But God really shook me. And what I did is I said, all right, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I don't, I don't want to be like that. And not being like that starts now, not then. So I'm going to meet you every day in the prayer chapel. I go every, every day after class. So, Lord, I'm going to be here and I'm going to pray. Until you tell me I'm done. And I would meet God. And something I would do. Is when I would go. I would take. I would take my keys. And my watch off. And I'd take my wallet out of my. Pocket. And I'd take everything that identified me. With anything on this earth. And I would lay it on the front pew. And I would say, now, Lord, none of that stuff is who I am. Key to a house, key to a car, key to a mailbox, key to a locker, key to a dorm room. When I came into this world, I didn't come in with any of that stuff. And when I leave, I'm going to leave with none of that stuff. So what I do this morning... As I lay those things down in front of you. Not because I think you really want them. But to get them off me. So that I can come as you want me. I just give you myself. I just give you me. And this morning. As we walk into the priesthood of the New Testament. I want to say to you, the access that you have to God might be free to you, but it costs a lot. But what we have this morning is an opportunity to come to God
and offer the only thing to him that he really wants. And that's you.